I am the resurrection and the life, says the Lord. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that he shall stand up at the last upon the earth, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold him. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. The eternal God is your sure refuge, and underneath are his everlasting arms. Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures and full of your glory. Neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. On behalf of Susan and the entire Hunt family, welcome to this celebration of the power of the gospel in Jean's life. That is Susan's title. So let me repeat it for emphasis. A celebration of the power of the gospel in Jean's life. While we are here to show love to the family, and to remember the wonderful husband, father, grandfather, friend, mentor, pastor, and brother in Christ, Gene was. Yet we know that Gene always looked in faith to Jesus and constantly pointed others to the only Savior of sinners and exhorted them, as he himself did to his final breath, to trust God with all your heart. That is the legacy he has left his family and his friends, to always possess a meek and gentle and yet bold faith in Jesus. He fought the good fight. He finished the race. And even now in our memories of him, I think he still encourages us to always trust in the one in whom he trusted and to find our comfort in him. Beloved, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Let us pray. 
Our Heavenly Father, holy is your name. You are the Most High God. You are exalted above all. The train of your robe fills the temple. The whole earth is full of your glory. And we confess that we are but sinners, people of unclean lips. And like John, we would fall at your feet as though dead. But we know and confess your word that Jesus said, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. And we know and confess that in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Our Lord and our God, the world languishes in the famine of sin and idolatry, not knowing you, but all who are in Christ are like the tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. So the apostle could say, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so we, the family and friends of Gene Hunt, know with certainty that he, now absent from the body, is present with you. And we rejoice. And we indeed celebrate the power of the gospel, even as we sorrow for our great loss. For the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing Amazing Grace. We will sing the fourth verse a cappella and the fifth verse with declaration. Let's stand. <laughs>
I'm Charles Dunahoo, and I'm here because we decided Tuesday I was probably Gene's old, will be Gene's oldest friend here in the congregation. And I don't think Susan meant that I was the oldest person he knew, but our friendship was lengthy. Uh, and they asked me if I would share some things that uh, Gene and I have shared and experienced together over the years, so I'm glad for that privilege. But before I do, I have to say this word. One of the things that uh, we mentioned Tuesday as we were the, with a family at the hospital, Susan reminded the children that uh, I had really encouraged them years ago to read one of my four top books, The Allegory of Pilgrim's Progress. I uh, don't know whether you've read that or not, but I've had the privilege of teaching that about five different times in my ministry, and I developed a habit of trying to identify Bunyan's characters with people that I know today. So that's the background, and I want to tell you about one of those characters, Mr. Greatheart. Mr. Greatheart was God's special, uh, was on God's special assignment of helping people journey to heaven, especially families. One brief example of that, uh, he was approached by the preacher and said, Mr. Greatheart, I want you to lead Christiana, Pilgrim's wife, and her children on their dangerous journey to heaven. And uh, of course, Mr. Greatheart did that willingly. And so he led them safely to Celestial City, along with many other people, both young and old. He went before them and protected them and guided them. And he was responsible for many people uh, getting to heaven. At one point in the story, Mr. Steadfast said to Mr. Greatheart, since I knew you, it has been profitable for me. And like Mr. Steadfast, I can say it has been profitable for me to know my brother in Christ and dear friend, Gene Hunt, over the years. Now, let me tell you some reasons why. Gene and I first met at the University of Georgia you wouldn't be around Gene long before you knew he was a Bulldog fan. We actually didn't meet on the football field. We met in the classical Greek class in uh, the fall of 1961. I would see Gene out of class. He worked in the cafeteria where, where we had meals on campus. Keep that in mind. You'll see why in a moment. And so the next point is the fall of 1962. I had enrolled in a Columbia Theological Seminary in Decatur, and I showed up for class, and one of the first people I saw on campus was Gene Hunt. Now, I think we knew we were both Christians back in that classical Greek class, but when I saw Gene, all I could say is, do you run the cafeteria here too? <laughs> and we had laughs about that for, for, for many times, but uh, we, we got to be really good friends at the seminary because not only did, did we share a common love for the Lord, but for his word and for our precious reform of faith as well. But I used to tell Gene I thought he was the president's pet because the president of the seminary would sometimes call Gene into his office and ask him if he needed anything. Seriously, money or, or whatever. He never asked me that. <laughs> but but I'm, glad he, I'm glad he did that for my friend Gene. <laughs> well, in the middle of our seminary experience, uh, we, we met Susan in the meantime, uh, she, who was a student there also. And uh, Jean and I uh, married our wives. And uh, my wife, Colleen, and I were married one night in Atlanta at the Westminster Presbyterian Church. 
and we drove all the next day to get to Myrtle Beach to their wedding. Now this was before the interstates were all, all completed, so it was, it was quite a journey. But uh, we made it to their wedding uh, the next night uh, in Myrtle Beach. And then as we moved on towards gr graduation, a couple of months before we graduated, our first of three children were born. And uh, so we, we've been able to, to see them grow up and I'll mention a little bit more of that in a moment. Well, when we graduated, I uh, was called to the Westminster Presbyterian Church in Atlanta to be on staff. And Jean uh, was called to Greeleyville, South Carolina to a church in which the president of the seminary had family roots. <laughs> so there was connection there. <laughs> And I'll never forget, and I'll never, I'll never share how Gene introduced me the first time I preached for him in Greeleyville, South Carolina. But we, we knew one another pretty well. <laughs> well, after a couple of years, the Lord called me and my wife to Montgomery, Alabama to pastor the Oak Park Presbyterian Church. And at one evening, I was speaking to a, a new but dear dear friend Jack Williamson, who, by the way, was the first moderator of the PCA in 1973. But Jack was also the chairman of a search committee in his home church in Greenville, Alabama. And I said, Jack, I've got just the man for you. And I gave him Gene's name, and of course, the Lord worked it out, and Gene and Susan moved to Greenville, Alabama. So we got to spend uh, a good bit more time with them uh, as a family and uh, just drew, drew closer and closer to them. And then after about four years, I was called back to Atlanta to the Smyrna Presbyterian Church. And shortly after that, Gene and Susan received a call to Atlanta <laughs> to the Prior Street Presby Presbyterian Church. Now, during this time, to give you a little history, uh, I was very much involved in the continuing church movement, uh, trying to move towards establishing uh, a, a, a Presbyterian church. And uh, Gene was very much interested in, in that. And so in uh, May of 73, uh, I left the mainline denomination uh, as a forerunner of helping start what is now the Presbyterian Church in America. And uh, Gene was one of the three elders that stood with me in organizing the North Georgia Presbytery, which was the second uh, forerunner uh, of organizing the PCA denomination six, six months later. There were four of, four of us uh, teaching elders and two churches, my church in Smyrna and the Midway Church, where Gene had the privilege of later serving on staff for a number of years, were, were the ones that didn't, stood with us in uh, forming that church. And during that time, Gene and Susan uh, moved to Riverdale and started planting the Covenant Presbyterian Church uh, in, in Riverdale. Well, I forgot to tell you one, one interesting thing. When they were in Greenville, Gene introduced me to the radial arm saw. Uh, Gene was a craftsman. Uh, I bought a radial arm saw. I could never use it. So I sold it later. But uh, he, he took an interest in me to try to help me learn some woodworking. But I told him he had the gift of craftsmanship. I, I didn't. Well, also during this time, the, their three children were born. And I had the privilege of baptizing two of them. And then later, I had the privilege of marrying all three of them. And it all took, <laughs> as you can see, from this wonderful, wonderful family. Uh, in 1977, I was called from the Smyrna Church to uh, head up the Christian Education and Publications Committee for the Presbyterian Church in America. And shortly after that, I hired Susan to come and work for me and with me in writing children's material and helping us do teacher training 
across the denomination. And after a few years, our church really began to, denomination began to grow. And I asked Susan if she would be willing for me to change her job description and become the coordinator of the women in the church ministry in the PCA so we could take it to the next level. She agreed, Jean was very supportive uh, of, of that particular change in her job description. During this time, I, I have to tell you though, Jean and I faced some real challenges. I won't go into them, but those challenges just endeared his relationship to me and I hope, hope mine to his. We've had a wonderful friendship. Gene has been a, a faithful friend to me. He's been a devoted husband and father with definite gifts of humility, well, craftsmanship, but, but humility and encouragement, especially to me. And for me, he was truly a Mr. Greyheart, who is now with the Lord whom he loved and serves so faithfully during his life. And so it's a pleasure for me just to take these few minutes and maybe more than you meant for me to, <laughs> but, but to uh, thank the Lord for the privilege I've had of knowing Gene and uh, over the years and seeing his family grow and develop in their love for the Lord. Gene, Gene Hunt was a good teacher, and he was a good shepherd to us. And most of us here had Gene as a minister, as a pastor at some point. And even after he retired, he continued to teach, and to shepherd, always pointing to Christ. He was constant at all the men's activities here at Grace. He was a constant at his Wednesday morning prayer group with Rodney and James and others. And Gene started a Friday morning Bible study that still meets at the Daily Grind. And for about 15 years, pretty much every Friday, <clears throat> Gene was there with us, teaching and shepherding and loving and praying and always pointing to Jesus. A few things we learn from Gene. When you see the word therefore, you have to ask, what is it there for? <laughs> the G is for Jesus. He'd always say that. Okay, Gene. Y'all, we need to pray for our country. Amen. We need revival. And Gene would. He'd pray for our country. He'd, he'd pray for our leaders of our country, sometimes for protection and wisdom. Sometimes it was a little more imprecatory, depending on the person and the situation. But he would pray for our leaders. My favorite lesson from Gene... And he rode this verse so hard. I don't know as much scripture memorized as I should. But most of the scripture that I do know is memorized in my own voice. But Romans 8.28 lives in my head in the voice of Gene Hunt. God works all things together for good to those who love him 
and are called according to his purpose. And after hearing that 15 or 20 times, it might seem a little repetitive. But after hearing that for 15 or 20 years, it becomes a ballast. So that when the trials come, and they do come, when we're getting beaten by the storms of life, we can see behind those storms the hand of a loving father using that storm for my good and for his glory. We don't have to be afraid of the storm. Our fear of the storm actually becomes gratitude for the storm. That's Romans 8, 28. That's what Gene taught me. Gene was a good teacher. I want y'all to picture something with me real quick, okay? So picture a million people gathered in a giant stadium ready for worship. And in comes our Redeemer, the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. And Everybody just roars with praise and worship for the lamb that was slain. And they have this incredible, mind-blowing worship together. And afterwards, in the parking lot, one fellow says to the other, Who's the guy at the door? Which one? Is it, you know, the one when we leave, he's the one that always says, um, it was good worshiping with you. We should do this again sometime. Hey, how about <laughs> next week, next Sunday? <laughs> Only now, Gene says, we should do this again sometime. How about Tomorrow. And the next day, and every day after that, for 10,000 years. Always pointing to Jesus, Gene was a good teacher, and he was a good shepherd. On behalf of uh, my family, I want to thank Grace Covenant Church, who made it possible for us to have this service in the place Gene loved. And to Mike Delosier, the interim pastor, and the elders who have cared for us, I want to thank George Grant and Charles Donahue, old friends of Gene, who were with us on that day he died, who came back to participate in this service. And to Tom Gray, my mom and Uncle Richie's pastor, and a great friend of Gene's, and to Daniel Stout, who represents many young men who have loved Gene for many, many years. Thank you. I want to tell you a story about a little boy. He was born into a non-Christian family where there was never the slightest effort to even appear religious. His parents never took him to church, and the only time God was mentioned in his home was when his mom and dad argued. He was an unlikely candidate to become a Christian. Yet God in his mercy reached into this situation and found this little boy. The doctrine of God's sovereign election was never a problem for him because he was a living illustration of this wonder. When his dad died, his family moved back to his mother's hometown, 
in God's providence, they moved to a neighborhood where there was a little Presbyterian church willing to reach out to a young boy whose life could have gone in any direction. Sonny was his boyhood friend, and Sonny's mother was the organist and choir director. So when the church doors opened, she was there. Sonny had no evangelical fervor, and this little boy had no consuming desire to know about God. Sonny just didn't want to go to church alone, and so he dragged this little boy along. This boy spent a lot of time at the church and was exposed to a lot of preaching and teaching. He saw the warmth and love of a church family. He took part in picnics and rousing singing. The church kids became his best friends. Many of their parents were his youth leaders. They opened their hearts and their homes to this little boy and accepted him as part of their covenant family. These families showed him what Christian family should look like. He was enfolded into this community of believers and moved among them as if he belonged. It all seemed perfectly natural and normal, and it never occurred to this little boy that he was an outsider. This was the gospel of grace being lived out in daily life. Gradually, the boy came to see his need for a savior and committed his life to Jesus. When he was a teenager, he began to feel that he was being called into the gospel ministry. The church family rejoiced with him, but they did not seem surprised. They acted as if they had expected it all along. Later, when he looked back, he was amazed that they never resented the little boy who tagged along as one of their own and who had no resources to contribute to the church. They invested in this boy because that's the covenant way. This boy was my grandfather, Gene. He always says he is thankful that his children have very different childhood memories. And his grandchildren are growing up in Christian homes. However, he never regretted his past because he clung to the truth of Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Our grandfather excelled in showing the love of Christ to all of us in this room and many, many others. As the families of that small Presbyterian church poured warmth and love on Gene, opening their hearts and their homes, never making him feel like he was an outsider, but as one who belonged, this is how he made all of us feel. He would want me to tell you that it was the power of the gospel that daily made him more like Christ, nothing in Gene's own strength. Gene did not make it to meet any of his great-grandchildren. But looking ahead to those days, how am I and how are we going to describe him to our children? What am I going to say to my kids? I'm going to tell them about his love and fear for the Lord. I'm going to tell them that in all things, his trust was in Christ, and then he clung to the hope of the gospel and the truth of Ephesians 2, where it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. I'm going to tell them that he deeply and earnestly loved his bride. Or as I call her, me mommy. I was a witness to the example he set by showing our grandmother what Ephesians 5 is to look like. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. I'm going to tell them how richly he loved his children, our parents. He cared for and protected mom, Uncle Richie, and Aunt Lauren. Gene was unwavering in his faith and steadfast in pouring his grace and love towards his kids, showing us how God's mercy is towards us 
as he explained in Lamentations 3, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I'm going to tell my kids how Gene loved me, all of his grandchildren, all of you here this morning, and countless others. As the families of that little Presbyterian church made Gene feel, he has made all of us feel that we are loved, cherished, and that we belong. And this ultimately is the message of the gospel, as put in Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We, his family, were with him until he made the final step across the threshold into heaven. We read scripture and sang hymns over him while he was taking his first step into Christ's arms. This is a memory that I will cherish for the rest of my life, my faith strengthened, knowing that Gene had finished the race and he had kept the faith. I often wonder what it will be like to be in my grandfather's shoes on the day God has appointed for me to come home to him. I think of family members who are there and great stewards of the gospel from the Old Testament, from the New Testament, and throughout history. We all know that Gene will be rushing to meet men like Paul and the disciples who walked with Jesus on earth. We know he wanted to rush to ask Martin Luther how he persevered, how God had provided for him. We all know he likely ran to John Knox and told him how horrified he was when they paved a parking lot on his grave in Scotland. <laughs> These and countless other men and women who have left their mark on the Christian faith, Gene could not wait to race to them and line up at their door to meet them. But the more I think about this, the more I am convinced that these and all the other pillars of faith lined up at the gates of heaven, excited at the chance to meet Gene and welcome him home. Let's pray. God, we do want to unite our hearts. God, I thank you that anytime, anywhere that we call out to you, you are there and you listen. God, I just want to thank you that on the occasion of this celebration service, where we remember a life well lived, where we celebrate the very clear and supernaturally impactful work of your grace through our Savior, Jesus Christ, in the life of our brother, Gene Hunt, Lord, we, we come and simply together say thank you. God, I thank you that you are the Savior. God, I thank you that you are the sustainer. God, I thank you for the bold and powerful and clear example of your faithful servants like Gene, who show us how to live, Jesus, what you taught when you told us that you are the vine and we are the branches and no one can bear fruit unless they abide in you. And oh, Lord Jesus, that crossing over of this past week from this life into true and eternal life, God, that is... That was a step of more clarity. That was a step of faith becoming sight. But, oh God, it was not a disruption of the life of abiding. And, God, I thank you that the fruitfulness you have borne through Gene Hunt in this life as he did indeed live abiding in you, Lord Jesus. I thank you that we who are gathered here are but a small sample of that fruit. And, oh, Jesus, you have borne great fruit through Gene Hunt, your servant, and we are thankful. God, I personally, in the presence of my brothers and sisters today, want to thank you for Gene Hunt. Lord, I thank you for his inspiration. Lord, I thank you for his encouragement of me.
God, I thank you for the role model that he serves and will continue to serve in my life and ministry. I thank you that I have a clear image of a man faithful to you, of a man fervent for you, of a man humbly dependent on you, God, of a man who would run the race with perseverance that you marked out for him. And God, that I, by your grace, through his example, will be strengthened for however many days you still give me on this earth. So I personally thank you in the presence of these. And God, my prayer today, my request, my ask of you, God, is that you would continue to bear great, great fruit through all you did and through all you've left through inspiration and encouragement, through instruction, through love and tender care, God, that you would continue to bear great fruit through those of us who have been impacted by him. God, I pray for comfort. I ask that you would wrap those who are grieving. Lord, I ask that you would wrap them in your arms of love and you'd care for them, that you would hold them close. God, I pray for Susan today. I pray for Richie and Shannon. I pray for Catherine. Lord, I pray for Scott and Lauren. I pray for these incredible grandchildren. That in their grief, you would grieve with them. Oh, Jesus, we are comforted by the shortest verse in the Bible that tells us how you wept. And God, we know that every teardrop is precious in your sight. And so I ask that you would give them great comfort by your presence in their grieving. And then, Lord, I want to ask for them that you would so fill them with your spirit and they would so abide in you in the pattern of their husband, father, and grandfather, that you would multiply the fruit that you have borne so supernaturally through Gene, through the legacy of his family. Oh, God, that you would give a special vision and understanding even to these grandkids we've even heard Daniel articulate, for the generation and even generations to come. Oh, God, that there would be this grand and glorious celebration, the, the Gene Hunt extended family reunion one day in heaven, and that it would number in the hundreds and thousands. And they'd be able to point back to a legacy of faith, a legacy of faithfulness, a legacy of fruitfulness. Yes, to to the tribute and credit of a man of faith, but through that man of faith to the glory of you, almighty God, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine.
is the chief end of man? Gene exemplified both joy and glory his whole life. He changed my life by showing me with absolute clarity what that kind of joy and that kind of glorying might be. I mean, joy was easy to see in Gene, right? Every single Sunday to see him stand and sing and rock back and forth up on his toes, heading toward heaven. He loved to gather with God's people. But whether it was uh, God's people that called themselves bulldogs or <laughs> God's people who called themselves children of the Most High King. Oh, how he loved and took joy. Oh, how he loved and took joy in his children and in his grandchildren and in the bride of his youth. When he would travel the world, he was always beaming. He knew joy. He, he loved Chick-fil-A. <laughs> and he demonstrated joy as he encouraged, as he prodded, as he moved us all toward the joy of his greatest longing, Jesus, his Savior. A couple of months ago, Karen and I had the opportunity to do a series of talks on some of our personal greatest heroes. So, of course, we talked about Thomas Chalmers and his bride, Grace. And we talked about Charles and Susie Spurgeon. And Francis and Edith Schaefer. But we couldn't finish the series of talks without talking about Jean and Susan Hunt. It changed our lives. It caused us to, to, to refocus ourselves on our family and our ministries in ways that were so practical. I watched Jean and I thought to myself, I have never seen a pastor pastor quite like that with humility and grace he made you know that you were loved he never looked over your shoulder at whoever was next in line he looked right into your eyes he knew your stories he knew your name you knew that he was praying for you and he took joy in that. But the thing that strikes me most about Jean was not so much all that joy. It was very evident. It was, it was the glorying part. He wanted to give glory to God in everything, from the way the lawn was mowed to the way the home was decorated to the way that every single detail was well organized for every single event. He wanted glory to be heaped up on Christ the Savior. Now, glory is an interesting thing. We all know what joy is. We, we can describe it. We, we can see it exemplified in a thousand different ways. Glory is... But one of those very difficult things to define or describe. In scripture, it's, it's sometimes described as splendor or majesty or magnificence or, or wonder or grandeur and greatness or, or beauty and brilliance or opulence or dignity. C.S. Lewis would argue that, that glory was, was weighty. That it, that it was heavy. There's this astonishing scene. It's in Isaiah chapter 6. The seraphim crowd around 
in the throne room of the Most High. They cover their eyes with their wings, for before them is the greatness and the majesty of the Most High God. His, his robe fills the throne room, and they're stunned by his holiness. And one angel cries out to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy. But then, he says something really rather unexpected. He says, the whole earth is full of his glory. Now, we might have expected him to say, after gazing upon the holiness of God and crying out, holy, 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 we might have expected him to say the whole earth is filled with his holiness. But instead, he says, the earth is full of his glory. This majestic scene suggests that the glory of God is actually the manifest beauty of his holiness. It's the outward display of his holiness. Glory is God showing forth his innate character and attributes. Showing us who he is. That's why in Leviticus chapter 10, the Lord says, I will be shown to be holy. And among all of my people, I will be glorified. The Bible says a lot about glory. The heavens tell the glory of God, Psalm 19. How great is the glory of the Lord, Psalm 138. The glory of the Lord endures forever, Psalm 104. The Lord is above all the nations. His glory is above the heavens. In Revelation 21, we see this, uh, this scene from Isaiah 6 replayed. The brilliance of the glory of God is like a very costly stone. A stone of crystal clear jasper. But often it seems that in the scriptures there is this inability of human language to actually get at what glory is. But every once in a while there's this, this, this moment where the glory breaks through. And everyone is overwhelmed by it and swept away by it. John MacArthur has said that the glory of the Lord surrounds the Christmas scene. At the birth of Christ, the Bible says that the angels required the focus of glory when they shouted, glory to God in the highest. The glory of the Lord was shown around all of the people, and the Bible says they were sore afraid. So the glory of the Lord was like an aura that surrounded the entire nativity scene. MacArthur says, it isn't imposed upon the Christmas story. It is the Christmas story. Jesus said to his disciples, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in deep darkness, on them a light has shone. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His, his name shall be called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. 
on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. That's what Gene sees right now. He reflected it all his life. He yearned for it. That as he enjoyed the Lord, he, he portrayed for us just a glimpse of what now he beholds face to face. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. He alone is worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory. And blessing. He alone is worthy of all worship. Gene always believed it. Gene always lived it. Gene always exhorted it. He encouraged it. And now he's in the midst of it. Have you ever seen Gene glow? <laughs> Nothing like he's glowing now in the presence of the glory of the Most High God. Gene changed my life. Susan changed my life. Knowing their family changed my life. Because what can be just theoretical theology was made incarnate. What's the chief end of man? It's to glorify God. Show his holiness. Make it manifest before the whole world. And enjoy him forever. Gene understood that because the gospel is true, because Christ has come and defeated the minions of sin and death, Christ has made his victory complete. For he came to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. The curse of death, it's swallowed up in victory. What Gene encouraged us to believe so often, he now beholds face to face, and it is full of glory. Take heart. Walk in Christ's ways, and you too will behold great glory. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we yearn to behold you even as Jean beholds you in the fullness of your glory. And so, Lord, even now, we cry out with faltering voices, joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. For he has come to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Father, we thank you. The gospel is true. And we rest in your provision. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing. The family wanted me to uh, let you know that... Uh, Every year, 
At Christmas time, Gene would say, I don't care what time of the year it is, sing Christmas music at my funeral. <laughs> That's the truth, isn't it? That is the truth. So we are singing Christmas music at Christmas for Gene's funeral. sackcloth and clothed us with gladness that our glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord our God, we will give thanks to you forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. to meet you, greet you for just a few moments. They will be up here if you would like to process, beginning from the front rows, uh, up the center aisle, and then around and back the side aisles uh, to leave. Uh, they would be more than happy to, to receive you and to greet you. Uh, you may do that at this point, please. <laughs> 